Why don't you stay standing and join me in prayer this morning. Father, I thank you. I thank you for bringing us all together this morning. Holy Spirit, you're here. You're amongst us. Father, I sense that you've already done so much this morning in our hearts. And Lord, we just thank you that you're faithful. We thank you that you're good. We thank you that you desire to speak with us and engage us right where we're at. And so, Father, for every situation that is represented here, I just declare your authority. I declare your goodness. I declare your miracle working power and that it is your will that will be manifest in every single one of those circumstances today. Father, we thank you that you have made us victorious, that you have made us whole, that you have made us more than overcomers. And we step into that in faith and with faith and with hope and with love in our hearts. So this morning, Holy Spirit, whatever it is you want to say, we're ready and we're listening and we're leaning in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Make sure you high five someone as you grab your seat. High five five people. One, two. (laughs) Well, this morning I want to speak to you on the topic of building rooms. Building rooms. Uh, You know, we all face seasons, and we're familiar with seasons in the natural, winter, summer, spring, autumn, and um, we can face seasons, we do face seasons in our lives. We face seasons when it's like springtime, and everything's new, and everything's fresh. There are seasons like summer, where it's warm, and everything's established, and there's just this life about it, and then there are seasons like autumn where we feel like things are just falling off our lives, like, there's, like the leaves in, in autumn fall off trees. And then there's winter seasons that seem cold and seem underground and seem restrictive, and, and, and we find it hard <laughs> to know how to carry ourselves in the winter and the autumn seasons. Often we find it hard to see God in the season when everything is being stripped from our life. Where, where things are not growing and things are not warm and sunny and we want in winter to be able to pull out a deck chair and sit in the sun except it's freezing cold. And so in those seasons in our lives, it's hard to see God. It's hard to see his hand at work. It's easy to be happy and, and fulfilled when you are in that warm, life-giving season. But what about the winter seasons and what about the autumn seasons? And I want to say to you today that God is just as present in your winter as he is in your summer. And God is just as purposeful in your autumn, in the seasons when things are falling off your life, as he is in spring, when things are new and growing and full of promise. Every season has a purpose. And so I want to talk today to those of you who are wondering whether your financial winter is ever going to shift. I want to talk this morning to the person who's wondering whether they can lose any more leaves. I want to talk to the person who's wondering whether they're ever going to hear a good report from their doctor or whether they're doubting if that thing that's held them bound for so long is ever going to loose. I want to talk to us about making room in the seasons that feel like they're challenging for us and finding God in those moments, in those seasons. You need to hold on to hope. It's an anchor for your soul. And this morning's theme is hope. That video of of Moses' mother releasing her son in a basket. How confronting to see it like that. 
I think every mother was gripped in that moment, watching that, putting your baby in a basket and releasing it with what? Hope. Hope in a difficult time. And so this morning, I want to talk about hope. The Shunammite woman in the Old Testament knew what it was like to trust the promise of God when everything looked like it was at its worst. In 2 Kings, we read about the prophet Elisha, who visits this town called Shunem regularly, and there's a woman known as the Shunammite woman who hosts him every time he comes. And eventually she says to her husband, I perceive that this is a man of God. We should build a room on our home so that he has his own place when he comes to visit. And so this couple build a room on their house and it becomes a custom. I love this idea that we can host God. Isn't that awesome? Just consider that for a moment. In your everyday waking, eating, working, sleeping life, you have the ability to host the presence of God. I love that thought that we can host God. And I've noticed that God loves hearts that are generous and open to host him. And I've also noticed that he loves an invitation. I know for me, when I was a young adult, It was that moment where I just cried out to God in the quiet of my own room and said, God, would you just come and be with me? Would you be in my world? Would you be my God, my Lord, my Savior? And in that moment, all of heaven rushed in and I was overwhelmed with the presence of God. And so it's not always the case. We know there are some occasions in the Bible where Jesus kind of like, turns up unannounced, but it happens more often than not for me to say that I believe God operates predominantly in response to our invitation. Like Sam was saying, when we make room, and you know, his response always exceeds our expectation. Can I just say that to you this morning? Sometimes we wonder whether taking this risk of faith is going to pay off. You cannot outgive God. You cannot actually contain the blessing that he has for you. And his response always exceeds our expectation. Will you receive that in your spirit this morning? And trust me that his response to you will always exceed what you expect. The scripture tells us that he does exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond anything we can even imagine. So stretch your imagination as far as it will go. And then God will even go beyond that. He always exceeds our expectation. And that was the Shunammite woman's hope, is that she would just host the presence of God. She just wanted to host him. God, I'm making room for you so that you'll dwell with me. And so the next time Elisha came around, he stayed with them. And so we see actually what this took. And this took an extension of their house the couple actually extended their home. And so it says that Elisha said to her in, uh, in verse 13, you've gone beyond the call of duty. You've gone beyond the call of duty. Church, there are three levels you can choose to live at. Beneath the call, at the call, or beyond the call. Yeah. And the choice is yours. The choice is totally up to you. But I've noticed that my promises live in the second mile. I've noticed that my 
inheritance dwells in a place that I extend myself. I've noticed that my portion is waiting for me in the area that I extend my faith beyond the call of duty. And so we see this in the life of the Shunammite woman, that she goes beyond the call of duty. And so Elisha wants to thank her. So he says to his servant Gehazi, what can we do for this woman to thank her? And, you know, some theologians say that they were a wealthy couple. They weren't really lacking anything. And so she says, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I actually just want to host you. No strings attached. But Elisha is intent on blessing her. Gehazi points out that they have no children. And so he calls the woman to the doorway and he promises her a son. And he finds this one area of lack in her life and speaks into the future generations. He promises this childless couple a legacy. And it's an awesome story up until this point, but it takes a bad turn. And we know that God doesn't promise us glitch-free living. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that it's going to be all peaches and cream and walks in the park for the rest of your life. Being a Christian actually means that even when you face those troubles, you are an overcomer and you have hope and you have a hope that the world does not have. You suddenly have this indwelling power and ability to see differently, to see as a victor and not a victim. And so what we see is the young boy grows up and one morning uh, he's out with his father in the fields and he starts complaining of a headache. And his father sends him with the servant back to his mother and she holds him on her lap until midday and the boy dies. The boy dies. The promise of God is now lifeless in her arms. The promise she never asked for. The promise she didn't have the guts to put words to. The promise that God spoke into the most secret area of her life is now lifeless in her arms. So what do you do when everything looks like it's over? Well, this is what she did. She took the boy's lifeless body, walked upstairs, laid him in the room that she had built on the bed of the prophet that she had purchased. She closed the door behind her and told everyone to saddle up a donkey to get her ready. She was going after the prophet. They asked her why. Her husband asked, why are you going? It's not a holy day that you should go inquire of the prophet. She didn't even tell him what was wrong. She said, everything's fine. Just trust me. I'm going to the prophet. She goes to the prophet. Um, Gehazi is sent. Elisha sees her coming, so he sends his servant Gehazi. Go and ask her what's wrong. Gehazi meets her on the way. She says, no, everything's fine. I just need to talk to Elisha. She gets to Elisha and falls at his feet, grabs his feet and says to him, did I ask you for a son? Didn't I tell you not to tease me with false hopes? Hope. Hope. Didn't I tell you not to tease me with false hopes? Has anyone ever felt like that? False hope. Disappointed. Hope deferred. And she says, didn't I ask you not to tease me? He interprets something's up with the boy. Without hearing it through, he gets on his steed and rushes to the house. When he gets there, he stretches out on the boy, on top of the boy, 
and nothing happens. So he gets up and he paces the house praying, stretches out on the boy again. Eventually, the boy's body grows warm. He sneezes seven times and he comes back to life. She then is invited into the room that she'd built and she receives her promise again. So I want to talk to you this morning about building rooms. How to build rooms in preparation for your seasons. And from this story, I want to look at three doorway encounters that I believe we need to prepare for in our lives. And the first one is when she's receiving the promise for the first time. What I love is that she's called to the doorway that she had built. She had built what was once the end of her home, I guess a boundary, a limitation, she carved through and made a doorway. Church, I pray that you catch this in your spirit. Every single one of us face limitations and boundaries. But the spirit of faith says, I'm going to pierce that boundary. I'm going to cut through that boundary and make a space for God. She wasn't happy just remodeling an existing room. She built space. She created something out of nothing. And how she did that was facing up to her own limitation, her own boundary, and busting through it. We need to bust the boundaries of our lives in faith. We need to face up to the things that are holding us restricted and pierce those things in faith. What is that in your life? What is that area of limitation that's held you bound for too long. She was called back to that place. Elisha called her to that exact place, the place that was the threshold of her generosity. It was the starting point of her generosity, the place that was once a dead end, but through her faithfulness, she fashioned an opening. The place that was once a boundary, but she chose to make a point of breakthrough. She wasn't satisfied with remodeling. And as I was thinking about this this morning, it's the ministry of resurrection. It's the ministry of resurrection because the Spirit of God takes what exists, what we are, and He restores it. He makes it bigger. He extends it. He increases it. He makes it greater. We live in a generation that just wants to trade everything in for a better model. But the ministry of resurrection says, no, there's extension, there's increase, there's more. There's more for what you are right now than what you are right now. He's not trading us in, he's extending us. And so what we need to do, we need to be those people who extend, who make room, who bust boundaries and see faith have its way. In her thinking, the only place fitting for God was a place of faith. And that required a door of breakthrough. He calls her back to that place that was once a limitation, but it was pierced by her faith. And here she has her first doorway encounter. This area, this place of limitation that she had penetrated, that she had carved out, many of us think it's up to God. But I want to challenge us today like Sam said, to get a little bit mongrel, get a little bit tenacious, get something on the inside of us that says, you know what, I'm actually going to partner with the Spirit of God. 
I'm going to break some, some of these boundaries. Yeah. I'm going to make room in faith. That's and so he calls her in and she stood at the open doorway that she had built and he promises her something that she couldn't even put words to. This is so powerful. You're catching the power of this. She couldn't even put words to it. It was that sore. It was that tender. It was that private. But he identified it and put words to it. A promise. A promise. A son. A legacy. And sometimes we receive those things and like we see in this picture, things go wrong. And so things went wrong and this boy dies. He dies. And what I love is that her response was just so profound. She was such a powerful, powerful woman. She was not given to circumstance or wild emotions. Many of us, when things go wrong, are given over to wild emotions, pity parties, sorrow, depression, anxiety, panic. She does none of that. Church, you have the living spirit on the inside of you to overcome those emotions that want to sideswipe you and sit you in a corner with tear-stained cheeks. She does none of that. She does none of it. I love her response. Her response is this tenacious response And you know what I love, and this was the revelation that floored me when I saw it, is that when you have built rooms, you have room for the wrestle. I don't pity you if you go through a hard time, because guess what? I do as well. We all do. I only pity you if you have not built rooms. I pity the people who have not built rooms. Because when you've built a room, you have somewhere to take your lifeless son. You have somewhere to go. You have somewhere of faith, of hope, to wrestle with God. You know it's not over. You know it's not over. I have these friends, amazing couple. And one morning, just like any other morning, they got up ready for the day. And um, the husband couldn't see out of one eye. And as the moments of the morning went on, his speech started to slur, and, and his wife said to him, we need to take you to the hospital. And as the hours went on, he became completely immobile, literally trapped within himself. He, had, he was suffering a stroke. And so all the, um, all the prognosis was not good, He was immobile, he could not see, he could not speak, could not communicate, literally trapped within his own body. He could hear what was going on, but he couldn't communicate, he couldn't, and the wife is there, and you can, you know, only imagine, I can only imagine what that circumstance would have been like, when everything in a moment is just gone, and the questions. The amazing thing is, is that this couple had spent 30 years building rooms, 30 years building rooms in the spirit. 30 years housing the presence of God. 30 years in the prophetic and in prayer and in ministry and and in business and in faith and in generosity and extending themselves for 30 years. And so here this man is literally in a room, in his own body, in his own spirit, literally locked down. And his wife now wrestling in the room that she'd built, 
And the Spirit of God says to her, I'm going to give him back to you. And in that moment, in the room where the promise had just been taken away and looked lifeless, she heard a promise of hope. And in the months that followed, he regained his mobility, he regained his speech, and today, Vic and Kerry Lewis sit on the front row of our church every Sunday, completely restored, completely restored, defying all the odds, hello, when death wants to have its way and you've built rooms, you have somewhere to take it, you have somewhere to go. You have somewhere to wrestle. You have somewhere to lay your broken dreams. And there are business people today wondering, God, where are you right now? There are people struggling with infirmity, wondering where the promise of God is right now. I want to challenge you. It's up to you whether you bury it or whether you take it into the room you've built. You can either bury it or you can lay it before God again. I can imagine this woman. Can you just imagine the tenacity that rises within her? surging through her, she bursts through that doorway for a second time. The first time she stood in the doorway, she was childless. The second time, she's childless again. Except this time, she's holding a dead child. She takes it and lays it on the bed. The very fact I love, the very fact that she put him not on her own bed, not on the boy's bed. She put him on the prophet's bed. Like she was shaking her finger at God, going, this is not happening. Can I just remind you of a few things? This actually isn't happening. And that's the sort of faith we need to have in our winter and in our autumn. We know where to go. We know because we've made that room. We know because we've honored him. We've hosted him. We've loved on him with no strings attached. He's blessed us. And when the blessing goes bad, we have somewhere to go and we know what he said. And so she takes him into the room and I can just imagine what's going on on the inside of her. She was not going to be defeated. I love that she was compelled by a truth greater than death itself. The promises of God don't die. His word doesn't return void. God doesn't lie. And the words of God always create life. It's not over. In verse 22 to 37, watch what she does. She shuts the door and gets everyone preparing to make a trip for her. Her husband asks why, and she insists that he just trusts her. She rushes out on the donkey. Elisha sees her and sends his servant to ask what's wrong. She tells his servant that everything's fine. But when she reaches Elisha, in verse 28, she says, did I ask you for a son? Didn't I tell you not to tease me with false hopes? I noticed two things in her response. She held her tongue and she stood on the word of God. She was militantly tight-lipped. She didn't tell her husband. She didn't tell her servant. She didn't even tell Elisha's servant. She controlled her tongue, and we must learn how to control our tongues. Then when she finally does put words to it, she chooses the right words. And I've noticed that just as important as knowing when to speak is knowing what to say. 
There's a time to not speak. But when it is time to speak, what words are you giving to your circumstance? Do you notice that even in the presence of Elisha, she didn't say, my son is dead. She never once said, the promise has died. What are you speaking over your circumstance? Come on. What are you speaking over your winter and over your autumn? The seasons that God is still in and still doing a work in. Are you speaking death over those seasons and over those circumstances? Because she didn't. She didn't put the power of negative words to her circumstance. What did she do? She made it God's problem. That's what she did. She said, hey, I never asked for this. This is your problem. That's what she did. And often we take responsibility and we try to control the situation and we speak the wrong words. What she did is she's like, I never asked for this. You need to fix it. Isn't that awesome? Did I ask you for this? Didn't I tell you actually not to tease me? So now that you've done this, you need to fix it. And I love that attitude, that attitude that doesn't assume responsibility, but just says, God, this is yours. I'm giving this back to you. The ball's in your court. You need to fix it. We need to quote the promises of God back to him. You need to know what the scripture says so that you know what to say. Too many Christians, it amazes me how many Christians think they can do this walk without knowing the scripture. You will never know God more than you know his word. And the word is the single most powerful weapon you have in your winter and in your autumn. It is the weapon of hope because it is full of promise and God doesn't lie. So if you don't know what he said, you don't know how to believe in your hard times. You need to quote the promises of God back to him. And so what happens next? Well, that room that she'd built was filled again with life. The rooms that you build will hear the promises of God and they will house the promises of God. We are heirs of hope. We are heirs of hope. We conceive hope. We bring forth hope. And hope is our anchor. In Hebrews, it tells us that it is impossible for God to lie. How awesome is that? It is impossible for God to lie. He can't lie. He actually can't lie. And Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Firm and secure. In Romans, the fourth chapter, it talks about Abraham, the father of all believers, and how God had promised him many, many descendants. And he was a hundred years old before he had his first son by Sarah. And Sarah was 90. It was impossible. It was impossible. And yet it says in Hebrews, it says, listen, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, nothing's impossible for God. Abraham who contrary to hope in hope believed he hoped against hope 
contrary to hope, in hope believed. So that he did become the father of many nations. We have this hope. It's an anchor for our soul. And so I want to challenge us today to remember that God's intention for you is good, that he wants to bless you, he wants you to incubate and bring forth his promises, and that he honours his word. Do you bow your heads, close your eyes, and just receive this this morning? It's not a question of if. Stop saying, God, if it's your will. You must know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is always God's will to heal, to restore, to provide, to deliver, to liberate. She had her third doorway encounter and she received the resurrected promise. In making room for God, we preempt kingdom outcomes for our future situations, whether they're currently good or bad. When things go wrong, and they sometimes do, it's yesterday's faith that anchors us in today's moment. If you've built doors of breakthrough and rooms of blessing, you can actually be glad when things go wrong. Glad that you have somewhere to lay your situation. Glad that you made room for this very moment. And we don't blame God in those times. We claim God in those times. Make room today. Extend. Bring honour to his presence. Invest in his word of promise. Build rooms. You don't know what's around the corner, but you can rest assured that you serve a faithful, loving, almighty God in Jesus' name. Would you give him some praise this morning? We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. We praise you, Jesus. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to offer an invitation to anyone here who may not know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. So I want to offer you this invitation to respond to him and make him the Lord and Saviour of your life. And I'd love to be able to pray with you while no one's looking around. Would you raise your hand if that's you?